This is Writers in Tech, a podcast where today's top content strategists, UX writers, and content designers share their well-kept industry secrets. I'm super excited today to have the next guest used to work for companies such as Google, Microsoft, Slack, and Twitch. The first time I actually encountered with him is when I took a product design course in Coursera and actually was introduced to him for the first time in an online course. And now I'm fortunate enough to speak with him, Amir Shevat. Hi, thank you for having me. Great. I just heard that recently you started a new adventure and you are going to fund a new startup. Is it something that you can already talk about or is it confidential? I can talk about the fact that I'm founding a new startup. We're still figuring out the copy and how do we position it, but it's basically a new developer platform. Got it. Is it related somehow to, I know that you wrote a book about API development and your background as a developer, but is it related somehow to bots? I love that. And it could be that this platform will be used to build bots. The first use case we're going to tackle are actually web applications. We just want to remove the pain of learning how to do it and how to scale it. So we're analyzing what sucks today in web app design and building, and we're trying to remove those pain points. What kind of pain points? Deployment pain points, scalability pain points, how do you get started, configuration pains. There's tons of stuff as front-end and back-end engineers you need to deal with. And our mission is to remove all these pain points and to make building software a delightful experience. That's cool. So also developers could scale easily when they're developing some kind of a web application or a platform. Yeah, we want them to share components and we want them to build websites and we want them to build software in a way that is much, much easier than it is today. Mm -hmm. And what is your value proposition? I don't know. I'll tell you when I figure it out. I just started yesterday. I think that, yes, so from my perspective, I hope I know enough to know what I don't know. And what I'm doing right now is understanding the domain of the problem, trying to build something that is very simple and hopefully very lovable for a very small audience, and then grow from there. Well, uh, first of all, I want to say uh, good luck with that. You know, entrepreneurship is a crazy adventure. Are you uh, scared about this thing? Yes, of course I'm scared. If you're not scared, you're pretty stupid. I think uh, the key here is that you need to be more excited than scared. One of the, I think Larry or Sergey, the founders of Google, called it uncomfortably excited. If you're uncomfortably excited, that means that you're in the right path. And I'm definitely uncomfortably excited. <laughs> well, uh, good luck. I'm excited for you. I've been following your work at uh, Twitch and Slack, and I know that <laughs> you have uh, brought this story with many, many big, big, big companies. So uh, I believe in you. You have my uh, vote. Thank you. <laughs> for sure. And okay, so today I want to speak a little bit more about creating bots, different kinds of experiences yeah. using bots. Now, in a previous episode, for example, I spoke with a conversation designer from a company from Belgium named Colaroid, which is like Walmart on in Belgium. Yeah. And he told me how they connected to the Google Assistant API and created a complete app. A writer and a developer created a complete app using the Google API. And I would love to have your take because our listeners are mainly writers about how do you think the future of writing voice interface and chatbots is going to look like? How the process of creating voice interfaces, for example, 
um, is going to happen in your opinion? In my opinion, interfaces with software are going to change. We are moving from a place where we interact with windows and big screens all the way to, I think most of the time right now, we're interacting with software in a transparent way. So at our home, my kids interact with Alexa and with Google Home on an ongoing basis. That's how they get their facts. That's how they play their music. That's how they settle debates about what is, who's right and who's wrong. And I think that's going to be more and more active around us as time passes. Several car manufacturers, for example, have added, announced that they're going to add bots such as Alexa and Google Home into the car. So think about it. It's a long period of our time every day that we spend with our hands not free. So we can't interact with software or at least can't legally interact with software. But using bots, we can easily do that. And we can easily use services that we couldn't use up until now. So definitely, I think this is the future. The future is conversational software. And screens are going away, at least for some types of interactions. Right. And I'm curious because, first of all, the reason that I started the group in the first place, I come from a background of product design. And my mom told me that there isn't future for um, prints and for graphic interfaces. And then I was anxious and I thought to myself, okay, so how the future is going to look like? And I had the same idea that the future is going to be voice interfaces and stuff like that. It was like uh, maybe four years ago. But at the same time, I have to say that I think there are going to be some kind of graphical interfaces that are going to be complementary to those voice interfaces, right? I totally agree, yes. I think it's, it's enough. What is the task that you want to achieve? If the task that you want to achieve is visual, then there's no way conversation interface would be the right thing for you. If I want to look or choose between things that I want to buy that are very visual, like types of T-shirts or a poster, mm-hmm. driving the image of the poster would be useless. It will take me a long while to describe the difference between two posters of Darth Vader, for example, right? Right. But showing you two photos of Darth Vader in different poses will be a matter of two seconds, and you'll be able to choose which one you like. So for some tasks, I think it's always going to be visual, suited. And the way I look at it is what converts better? Is a web or a visual funnel converts better? Or does conversational funnel convert better? How can you achieve a task with as little steps as required? And does conversation perform better than visual representation? Right, like a salesperson talking with a person, and then usually it's much easier to do sales like that. A real conversation rather than with screens. It took years until people actually trust those screens. Yes, exactly. I think there's certain tasks that are prone much more prone to conversational interfaces. Supports. I hate the supports that is visual because I need to sort through topics and it reminds me of Yahoo in the early days where you had to look for things by navigating trees. I don't like visual trees that I need to navigate for a very long time. I just want to ask my question, right? right. So for things like asking questions, conversational interfaces are much better because we're much more articulated in our ability to ask the right question than we are to navigate through answer tree, for example. So for things like support and FAQ, conversational interfaces are much, much better. 
Mm -hmm. And what other use cases would you say are really great for uh, conversational interfaces like that? What other use cases? Yes, except for support, like you said. Everything where you traditionally talk about things. So I think things like helping people, I don't know, medical. So the bot asking you questions about your health. Every place where you traditionally see people using their voice rather than their eyes. So for example, if I go to a store and I pick between t-shirts, that's a very visual thing. But if I call someone or sit and talk to someone, that's a very conversational thing. So I would look at what is traditionally being used and I would augment the things that are used as conversations. These are the things that I really want to, to turn into conversations. So search, I use my words. When I get support, I use my words. When I talk to a friend, I use my words. When I have a relationship, I use my words. There's tons of use cases where the medium is conversation by default, even before we had software. So I would do an analysis of looking at what is the previous medium. And if the previous medium is conversation, then that's definitely a place where conversational interfaces are much more inclined to be successful. Wow. So I just learned a really crazy insight that it feels like many, many forms, like those crazy forms that we have in the web today, are going to be conversational, like governmental forms or insurance forms and stuff like that, right? Yeah. And I think once we turn them into conversational, we'll learn how cumbersome they are and make them a lot shorter. So if you look at government forms are the best there, or should I say the worst, and you have so many options that you actually don't need to answer in the interface. It's like, yeah, if you chose 41B, then fill section 8. And if you chose 41C, fill section 9. That is so cumbersome. And if you turn that into a conversation, it's like, hey, we noticed that you are on a green card in the U.S. Here's the special question for a green card holder, right? Right. So you'll be able to create a conversation that removes all the clutter from the form and only focuses on the path that the user wants to take. Right. And also the AI will help us to kind of remember the user or anticipate user behavior. I feel like it's yeah. also going to that direction as well. Yes. Yeah. So I think places where structured conversation, I think right now AI can do a very good job. In places where it's unstructured conversation, AI still has a lot to improve. Right. Like anticipating your needs based on previous choices. Exactly. And when do you think there's going to be a tipping point in this world when we're going to have much more conversational interfaces than like traditional interfaces? Now, I know that you live in California and in California, everything is more advanced. And you said about your children that they're using all of those voice interfaces. But let's say in Israel and in many different places in the world, we're definitely not there yet. But when do you feel like we're going to have that tipping point? The tipping point, I think, is going to be through platforms that are going to bring more voice interfaces into our life. I talked about the example of cars, and I think Ford is the one that announced that all the new cars are going to have either Alexa or Google in their car. I think once you get into your car and your car talks to you and you can talk to your car, that is when conversation interfaces will become much more popular. I think that once the conversation is there, and you, it's very easy for you to access the things that you want just using your voice. So availability of mediums 
I think would be my exact answer to you. Once there's going to be abundance of availability of mediums for this type of interface, then users will use it. Got it. And do you think that when we will have in every car a voice interface, we're going to have an autonomous car in that period or it's going to come later? I believe that hopefully voice interfaces are going to come before autonomous cars. I think autonomous cars are an amazing technology that mm-hmm. still has about five to ten years until it becomes everywhere. Got it. Uh, so very common. So we're going to and see I vo- think voice mm-hmm. interfaces are going to be much, much more common earlier. Right, because I had a aha moment like one month ago when I, I don't know, I speak with the Google Assistant for the first time and I added an event to my calendar and it showed up in front of my eyes and I was like, okay, so this is a big deal. Yeah, I think that places where, you, where navigation sucks, voice interface prevails. I can give you an example of how my wife uses voice interfaces. She just, she talks to our Amazon Fire TV and asks for her favorite episodes right? Mm-hmm. Or her favorite TV series. The alternative is to start navigating through Netflix and all these until, and it's like multiple clicks. It's about 15 clicks. I tried it out yesterday. So from the time I open my TV until I get to the right episode and the right TV series, it's 15 clicks. That's way too much. And just telling the remote control, hey, show me the next Sopranos episode is a one sentence and takes a lot less time. So voice can really remove friction in places where the alternative is very cumbersome. Right, but this is a use case that you know that you want the soprano. Sometimes when you have kind of a black canvas and you don't see any show in front of your eyes, yeah. it will be a very tough decision, I think. Yes, I think again, but that's another use case, the discovery use case. I think there's two use cases there. One of them is the discovery. I want to see new things that I don't know what I want to see. Then a visual representation is much better. Got it. But the other use case, which I talked about, is like I want to continue where I stopped. And that's very easy to manage through a vocal interface. Right. And it saves you those 15 clicks that you've mentioned. That's interesting. Exactly. Another example for discovery is around music and the Google Assistant. I just ask the Google Assistant to play good songs for the morning and it curates the songs itself. So another thing that the software could do is to capture intent through the voice, but then curate the discovery for the users, right? Mm -hmm. So like Alexa, play me some party songs. If Alexa does a good job in selecting the song, then you have the perfect DJ. Okay. So let's talk a little bit for the writers in the audience. So let's say that we have, not even the writers, like the companies that want to develop some kind of an app that is connected to a voice device, like the Alexa or the Google Assistant. So let's say that we are a pizza delivery app or food delivery app like Food Hero. We want to start a process. We want to create some kind of a conversational interface of food delivery app that will be connected to the API. So it means that you can easily connect to different technologies, like the technologies that Google is presenting in an open sourced way. And let's say that I want to connect to the amazing technology of Google to create a voice application because it feels like the Google Assistant is going to be like the Play Store only for voice interfaces. Right, I could develop my own app and just connect it and everybody in the world could open it and use it. Yes, it's definitely a new distribution channel for developers. That is very exciting. 
Exactly. And let's say that we have some kind of in our audience, a delivery app or e-commerce website that they want to invent something unique, some new voice interface, some new voice experience. So first of all, how do you think they should start even? They should start by talking to people. That's the magic of conversational interfaces. I think we've been conversing for more than 60,000 years. Yeah, we've been conversing a lot more than we have been designing copy and, and building apps. So I think that we're much better in designing conversations. We know which conversation is going to be awkward and we know which conversation is going to be delightful. When people say that they don't agree with me, I ask for someone to come on stage and I ask them for their username and password. And everybody like cringes because they know how cumbersome and awkward that conversation is, right? Mm -hmm. So we're much more fine-tuned to having good conversation. We've been bred to have good conversation. People who didn't have good conversation left the gene pool. So we are the sons and daughters of good conversationalists. Right. We are social creatures. Exactly. So what I would do if I were the startup that is building this delivery service is just record as many conversations as I can and just use my voice or people to record as many conversations around the delivery service and look at all the edge cases. And then the bot has a much easier way to either train or script the conversation. So I would look at the conversation tree. Usually what happens is that 80% to 90% of the conversations are very, very common. That's the happy path. You order something, the conversation has a few decision trees, and then you conclude the conversation. So the bot should be optimized for the happy path. And then about 10 to 20% of the conversation are going to be edge cases. These are conversations where things didn't go right or there was a special request. This is not the happy path, and the bot should be aware and proficient in the most common non-happy path. Now, the problem that I usually see is that people are trying to build a conversational interface for every path. And I think that is wrong. You need to, the bot will never be able to deal with, at least not in the foreseeable future, will need to deal with every possible edge case. So the way to build it is to build a bot that will solve for 80 to 90% of the happy path plus the most common edge cases, and then have a human or some other means deal with the 10% that is unique. And that's my recommendation to how to get started building a conversation interface. This is such a great tip because you can implement this tip also, by the way, on visual design. A lot of designers design today, every possible, like UX designers, plan every possible step of the way sometimes, and they should focus much more of their time in the epipath, in the main task flow that the user needs to do in the web application. Yes, I tend to agree. I think not designing for the happy path makes your 80%, the happy people, much less happy. So I really like the new notion of minimum lovable product, which yeah. says like focus on a smaller audience and make them extremely happy than a much bigger audience and make them somewhat happy. So the epipath of our voice delivery app would be a successful order of pizza. And we should focus most of our energies in creating that flow. Yes. What is the least amount of steps that you can do to get the user to order the pizza? 
And I'm sure if you look at the spread, you'll see that 80% of the conversations are happy path. And that is the easiest way to make your users very happy. And even on the happy path, let's say that I'm a writer right now and I should write even for the happy path, a lot of different variations of the same command, I would say. Yeah. So there's two aspects there. There's language recognition and language generation. And in both, there's variations. Humans like variation. So if I ask you a question and all you answer me is yes, 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 that turns to be annoying after the fifth yes. But if you say yes, oh, I agree, I understand, this makes sense, all of this is different ways to say yes, but the variation is important because then I feel like I'm talking to a human and not to a machine. The same thing goes for natural language understanding. Natural language understanding, there's multiple ways of conversing. And your bot should be smart enough to understand that there's no difference between yes, sure, yeah, of course. So you need to get different inputs and generate different inputs. And also expect that humans are strange and do not do what you expect them to do. I'll give you an example. A lot of the time, I've seen scripts where the bot is asking a question and the human is saying, wait a second, I'll answer you in five minutes. Or I'm busy, can we talk about this in five minutes, right? And this is not in the happy path, but this is very, very common, right? Because in a purely rational world, the human would not answer at all because it knows that the bot is not becoming impatient. The bot will wait until the human will answer. But the human is anthropomorphizing the bot, giving it human characteristics. So it know, it feels that it, if it doesn't answer, it's going to offend the bot. <laughs> so that's why it's saying, wait a second, or give me a moment to check it out. And then the bot usually fails and says, I don't understand, and the entire conversation breaks. So always assume that you're, that's why you need to have a lot of conversations. Because if you do have hundreds of conversations, you won't run into this, hey, wait a second, somebody's at the door, right? Or wait a second, I need to find a better room to talk about this. Or all these kind of like small interactions that we have and can process as humans in a very easy way, but software has a very hard problem to, to understand. So basically, it feels like we will have to not only create conversational interfaces, but also find a way to humanize those interfaces, like... Uh, think like if they were humans, how would they behave? Yes, I totally agree. I'll give you an example. One of the telcos here in the U.S. did something very interesting, which is after they ask you a question and you answer, they play um, sound of typing on a keyboard. And I just noticed it and it blew my mind because it turned the conversation into a much more natural thing because that's why humans do. When they look up your details in a telephony service, you hear the sound of typing. So just doing that hack, that small hack, is super, super useful. There's another hack that I've seen Slack bots do, which is when the bot is doing something that takes a long time, it sends the typing event in Slack. And the typing event shows the user that the bot is now typing which is basically a lie because the bot is not typing, it's doing compute. But if you look at humans and how they interact, 
when you talk and when I talk to you and I see the typing icon, that tells me that you're read what I'm saying and you're now working to answer me. So just sending that typing event and bots can buy you 10, 20 seconds of doing something and not answering the user because they know that they're waiting for the answer. Right. And there's going to be so many ways we could uh, trick humans to think that are speaking with real people. Now, I know that in California, there is a lie against it also. If you speak with a bot, the bot must say that it's a bot, right? Yeah. So there's, yeah, that's a great insight. I think there's two things. You need to know that you're talking to a bot by law and by ethics. I think it's super important. But you need to create conversations that are as close to a human interaction and using the typing sound or the typing event in Slack or saying things differently, yes and yeah, and of course, creates a much more delightful user experience because it feels like you're talking to a human. So if the bot, I wrote an article that says that the bot needs to pass the beer test, right? Not the touring test. So the beer test is after the end of the conversation, would you go out to a beer with the bot? <laughs> is the bot your friend or is he someone that's software that is annoying and irritating? And I think this is important. Like I've seen some entrepreneurs that actually check how many people tell their bots that they love them or they hate them. And they have this measurement to how fast can we generate positive or negative reactions. And I can tell you that in conversation, it's really well to have good conversation because then you're much more inclined to fulfill your task. Right. This is, it feels like a slippery slope though. Like bots could manipulate people to do stuff uh, based on positive energies and positive conversations and eventually, I don't know, sell them something. That is the absolute outcome that will happen. In the same way, websites trick you into do things. Right. I think software is not to blame here. It's humans that are to blame. <laughs> humans trick humans. Software is just, interfaces are just a way to relay human intention. Right. What you're saying is that people will trick other people to buy things that is almost a certainty as death and taxes. <laughs> right, but now it's even more dangerous because they could have analytics on their positive feelings and emotions and play with the emotions like in a practical way. Yes, there are ethical questions here. Now that I have much more information, now that I know maybe I do some sentiment analysis, maybe I know the age of the user by their language that they're using. Maybe I know if they're native or not native, if I know the race through, through the conversation. There's a lot of information that conversation reveals. I'm sure if somebody listens to this conversation that we're having, could learn a lot about age, about race, about, race, about feelings that you would not learn from any other interface. And for the better and for worse, that is a fact of this interface. It relies much more information that could be used for good or bad. Before we wrap up our talk, let's try to have kind of a positive action items for our listeners. And let's say that we're leading a community of writers here and they're going to create the future of conversational interfaces with developers and talented, I guess it would be behavior designers. So which kind of rules they should follow in order to keep it on an ethical level and avoid dark patterns? Did it make sense? Yeah. I think dark patterns here are very common to dark patterns in humanity. 
So my first suggestion would be be kind and be human. Have the bots be as nice as you want to be. Imbue your bot with the good interfaces or things that characteristics that you have and that you want and remove the bad characteristics. So the bot could be patient. The bot could take feedback well. The bot could be helpful. And then measure yourself by the conversion to uh, task completion. I think a lot of people do cumbersome conversations or redundant conversations because they don't focus on a task. Like the bot doesn't need to tell you a joke unless it really, really is connected to the task at hand. Let the bot be as minimalistic as possible and look at this as a transparent UI. The idea here is to achieve a task, and if your conversation achieves that task in the easiest way, then it's the best interface you've chosen. Great. Yeah, it's all about making people's lives better, make yeah. delightful experiences. More, more productive. Right, and also using the technology to enhance the humanity and not to destroy it. Exactly. Don't be Dr. Evil. Be, I don't know, Be the good guy. All right. So, Amir, I had so much fun talking with you today. Yeah, me too. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming. People will probably want to speak with you or ask you questions. So, where is the best way to find you? On LinkedIn, Twitter? LinkedIn and Twitter are the best. Yes, definitely. Perfect. So, I will add a link to the show notes. I will also add a link to your article about the beer test. It sounds interesting. And yeah. I'm sure that our listeners would love to read it as well. And Amir, thank, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Have a good one. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Writers in Tech. If you like our podcast, then leave us a rating and subscribe so you're updated when a new show comes out. For more UX writing goodies, sign up for our UX writing newsletter at uxwritinghub.com. Thanks again. And that's all for this week.